Hello, this is episode 251 and in it, I am continuing my conversation with Derek Layfield, who is the Managing Director of Panel. Now, if you haven't listened to part one of our conversation, you will find that in episode 250. So stop now. In fact, episode 250, you can find it at undercoverarchitect.com forward slash 250. You can listen to it. You can download the free PDF transcript and then you can come back here when you're all caught up. In part two of my conversation, we're going to learn more about how to work with Panel. We're also going to talk about the different finishes that Panels are available in because there's lots of different applications you can use it for, super functional. You're going to learn more about how you work with it and also how it compares to other products that you might be familiar with, in particular plasterboard uh, for the internal linings and the internal walls of your home. Now, if you want to grab a full transcript of this episode, you can get that as a free PDF download by heading to undercoverarchitect.com forward slash 251. That's the numbers 251. Now let's dive in. I begin by acknowledging the traditional owners of country throughout Australia and I recognise the continuing connection to lands, waters, skies and communities. I pay my respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures and to elders both past and present. If we haven't met before, I'm Amelia Lee. Based in Northern New South Wales, Australia, I'm a wife, mum and architect, and I've worked in the architectural industry for over 27 years now. Having worked on over 250 projects, mainly residential family homes, as well as significantly renovating three homes of my own with my hubby, whilst our three kids were babies, toddlers and even older, I have a personal and professional understanding of the joy, challenges, stresses and excitement of making your family home a reality. In mid-2014, I started Undercover Architect, and it's an online business to help and teach homeowners like you how to get it right when designing, building and renovating your family home. Undercover Architect is all about giving you access to the industry knowledge and insights you need to avoid the mistakes and dramas that can cost you thousands, tens of thousands and even hundreds of thousands of dollars. And it's about levelling the playing field so that the world of renovating and building doesn't seem so mysterious and you can be the active driver in your project, navigating it with know-how and confidence. Undercover Architect helps and teaches homeowners through this podcast, the website, and our online courses and programs, including my flagship program, Home Method. I truly believe that when you know the questions to ask, the steps to take, and the best way to create a home that works, feels great, and that you feel great in, you can enjoy the process of building and renovating, as well as the home that you move into at the end of this ambitious journey. Consider Undercover Architect your secret ally, whoever you're working with and whatever your location, your budget or your dreams. Grab access to my free online workshop, Your Project Plan, and learn super helpful information to save time, money and stress in your reno or new build. You can find it at undercoverarchitect.com forward slash project plan. That's P-R-O-J-E-C-T-P-L-A-N. Now, let's get on to the episode. Let me just remind you about Derek before we jump into this part two of our conversation. So Derek Layfield is the Managing Director of Panel, which is a truly sustainable and Australian-owned business. And for more than 30 years, Derek has re-engineered and manufactured Panel in regional Victoria from waste wheat straw sourced locally from Australian farmers. Derek's passionate about changing the way that the world thinks about building by speaking transparently about Panel's cradle-to-cradle life cycle. He hopes to educate about the natural carbon cycle, highlight greenwashing within the building industry and encourage people to choose 
truly sustainable building materials. And Derek's enthusiasm, which I know you will have heard on our last episode and you definitely hear again here, and also their responsible manufacturing has led to Duropanel being used in airports, schools, stadiums, industrial facilities, offices, homes, and hopefully more homes now that the Undercover Architect audience has heard about it across Australia and the world. Now, I've got a free downloadable PDF transcript of this episode, which you can access by heading to undercoverarchitect.com forward slash 251. You can also head to that link to see photographs of the sample that we discuss in this episode. I got a sample of it um, so that I can play with it and you can familiarize yourself with the product better. You'll hear me actually ask Derek how durable uh, Durapanel is for family life because whenever I speak to homeowners, they're really concerned about just how the materials that they build with will cope with family life, with kids bashing into things and, you know, tearing around corners and, you know, the dirty handprints that you get sort of a metre above the floor and all of those kinds of things on a day-to-day basis. And it, it does, you know, it seems strange that something that's straw and paper can be so durable, but it is. I've I've got this sample. I've been bashing it, uh, and I'm really amazed at the punishment that it can take. And it's 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 solid and hard without being harsh. It's really interesting. So, um, and we're very very used to plasterboard. We're very used to using plasterboard. We're very used to seeing how it performs, and and that being kind of our benchmark for the linings of our home. But there are other options. Uh, other options that may be more sustainable definitely are in this case that can be better to use that are tidier on site as well and that are preferable based on your own personal criteria for your project if you've got a series of benchmarks that you're wanting to achieve for your project Jira panel may tick the box for you so let's continue with my conversation with Derek now as we dive into part two so if you're using it as a as a lining product on your internal walls, then obviously it's going to be 50 mil thick instead of 10 mil thick as plasterboard. But you're going to have obviously all of that extra insulative and acoustic performance from that material and that product. And then, as you said, those internal wall applications, you can look at just whether you eliminate the frame altogether or you and do back to back or whether if you do need to run power or plumbing or anything like that through them to have that you know frame, but it could potentially be something um, smaller. So if we're looking at how we're joining panels together and we can like everybody's benchmark for what the inside of their house is going to look like is against obviously plasterboard and everything gets compared to plasterboard, unfortunately. So how in terms of helping people understand the smoothness of the finish, the joints and how you join it together, will you see, you know, ribs sort of, you know, all of that 11, every 1187 um, and, you know, painting over the top of the craft paper. We'll talk a bit more um, in a minute about the number of finishes that you've got. I mean, actually, I'll just go through that quickly first so that people understand that. So you do actually... The, the product can come with obviously the craft paper finish, um, which is that brown paper, as you said, but you've also got a, um, about 12 other finishes that the board can come with. So, and one of those is um, that you can obviously paint it. You've got a textured paint, then you've got a hardboard flat finish. You've got cement sheet that can be used in wet areas, plywood, acoustic, and then a, a raft of acoustic and sound sorb um, finishes, and then also color bond and perforated color bond <clears throat> sounds orb as well. So obviously there's lots of options in terms of people thinking about what they can order from you before it comes to site so that they can get that aesthetic or the performance from it that they need to. How do you go about joining it? And how do you go if you've just ordered the craft paper version and then you're painting it, Ooh. how that sort of looks and works and acts as a finished sort of product on the inside of your home? Sure. 
Well, the panel can be pretty much finished with anything. Um, well, I've had people putting Hessian on for it. Yeah. They just want natural. They just putting Hessian on it. Um, it can be wallpaper. It can be finished with lime. It can be rendered. It can be painted. You can have textured paints, flat paints, low VOC paints, whatever you, you want, really. The surface finish is not as flat as plasterboard. Um, you won't pick it up from looking at the panel here or anything like that. But because it's we're working at such high pressure, you will get compression marks over the length of the panel. I mean, that's the nature of the material. That's the na nature of the material. I mean, we could eliminate the compression marks by adding chemical binders to assist with the lignin, but we're not prepared to go down that road. For, for we're not doing that, whatever. It goes against our culture, uh, everything that we're about as far as uh, a company. The panel is what it is. And we say use finishes that are sympathetic to what the panel is. And you know, there can be high build paint finishes. There can be, you know, like I wouldn't put a high gloss paint on it. All you're going to do is exacerbate those symptoms. Um, but it can be finished with pretty much anything, to be honest. You know, the, the joints in the panel, um, the panel to panel joint. Oh gosh, I haven't got a little biscuit connected. I'll, I'll just grab one here. Um, Derek's just showing me it's like a round disc of what's that made of, Derek? That's like a, a hardwood disc. And it is, it's literally probably about 10 centimetres in diameter and it's just being, um, it goes into side on into the edge of the board so that you've then got half of it protruding to then meet with the other board, obviously, to create that, if you don't know what a biscuit joint is, it basically is that thin layer that goes in so that things slide over the top of it and then they've got some bite to in the way that they join. What do you do with the face of that joint where those two boards are meeting? Can you tape it or set it or how does that sort of work? It could be taped or set. Um, the issue that you need to consider when you're doing that is that you'll create two finishes. One will be plaster. That's what you'll be using. And then you'll see compression marks. If you get it in a critical light, that's what you'll create. And then you could see a set of vertical stripes, which, okay, you'll get rid of that if you put a textured uh, finish over it. But you just need to be aware of that. Or you can just put a flexible sealant between a panel to panel joint and just paint over it. And a lot of people are doing that. They're quite happy with it. You can put a timber cover strap over it. Um, in our office here, we've used, um, we've expressed the panel joint in some situations. So our, our offices here show a, a wide range of different finishes as to what you can do with it. Um, pretty much you can do, you know, like I say, you just think about it as a, you know, a chipboard material. It's 50 millimetres thick. Only this one's, you know, environmentally sustainable. <laughs> yeah. No, I love it. And when you have to, um, in terms of if you have to cut it on site, how do you manage that? Like if you've not got it all cut to measure or, you you know, you've bought it in just as panels, can you, you can just saw cut it on site? Do you have to tape the, the edge of it or anything like that? You can cut it, you put a, cut a hole through it, just get a hole saw if you want to put a downlight in it or something like that. You just get a hole saw, you can cut straight through it, circular saw, saber saw, you, you can cut curves through it, and pretty much whatever you want to do. It's quite workable. Important thing is once it's cut, you reseal it, um, you know, and we provide a sealing tape for that purpose. 
your uh, cut edge. So if, say, for example, you're cutting a PowerPoint or a downlight in it, you would saw cut that hole out and then you would line the edge of that with the tape before you install the fixture, would you? Is that how that works? Yep. Yeah, that's it. Or just put a shroud on it, one or the other. Gotcha. Quite, quite easy to do. Yeah. And then in terms of like hanging pictures and, you know, fixing, I know a lot of people panic about their kids, you know, sort of denting a wall, like you would plasterboard or something like that. Does it, does it kind of have that level of reaction to impact the same way that plasterboard can? And, you know, like if you were dragging furniture and you actually took a, you know, accidentally scraped, scraped a corner of a table across it, is it going to tear the paper at all? Like, what do you do with that? How did it, does it, can it be patched? You know, those kinds of things um, in terms of resilience over well, time you can hang tvs off it uh you, you can hang cabinetry off it um pictures you can put anywhere because you don't have to look for a stud yeah, that's the nature of it uh we've got a uh, pull out tests on screws and things like that so um you know if you i mean you can hit it and kids can run into it and they'll bounce off it i mean that in a nicer sort of way but they will bounce <laughs> off the wall <laughs> uh, they soon tire of uh, they soon tire of trying to you know harm it <laughs> for want of a better word. But, uh, Can you if you if you decide that you want to move where the picture was, what happens with the holes in the wall? Can you patch it or yeah, yeah, yeah just yeah, yeah, just patch it with uh, just anything like a spackle or fill any any filler that you want to use. I mean, you know, in a, in a worst case scenario, is if you if you had something like you you know somebody was malicious damage for the you know, with a sharp chisel and want to gouge into the, try and gouge into the panel or, or, or do something, you know, um, you, can, you can just fill over it. So, uh, I mean, interestingly, you know, when we do a fire test, um, that's quite destructive and the, and the craft paper liner chars off and the straw core just sits there and carbonises, you know. Well, you can just scrape the carbon away and you can just spackle over it, and it'll look like brand new. Yep. So yeah. you're not the, once if even if the paper line is not there, you can still just get a trowel and trowel over it, and you 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 won't know that there's been an issue. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, I think it's um. Oh, it's really exciting. Like I love the idea of it. I know that when you and I were chatting, I've been since thinking about the renos that we're we're hoping to do at our place. And I have a son who is um, my eldest is hugely into music composition. The house is always filled with his music, and his sisters don't always appreciate that the house is always filled with his music. <laughs> and I think that he's great. He's massively into film composition, and I think oh. Uh, film soundtracks, and I think, oh gosh, we could put him in a Jira panel box. <laughs> well, look, look, don't laugh. I mean, don't laugh. This is dead serious. I mean, this is what people need to do. I mean, especially when the kids have taken up drums at school, you know, and all of a sudden, mum and dad are going to go out. Here's the drum set. And, uh, <laughs> what are we going to do with you? But um, you know, I, I know when my own boys be young, my my, my, uh, my oldest boy's uh, son, he took up drumming and. Some of the kids had bands and all that stuff together. And I remember his dad calling me, hey, listen, you're in the business of making acoustic panels. (laughs) We ended up decking out his his garage in it. And and, and it's a funny old thing because I was talking to the son, Steve, who's uh, been in the business with us now. Now he's uh, going over the range one day. And uh, uh, we we said, but geez, you remember when we did... uh, Young James's place with us, panels, Dad. I reckon we're on a winner here with making acoustic studios. And I said, well, Steve, well, go and get onto it. So anyway, that's all Steve 
Acoustic Studios was all Steve's doing, did a great job, and they work a treat. You That's know, very, very good at low frequency noise control. And that's the biggest thing you've got to, uh, yeah, that's the hardest thing to beat. And that's why we do a lot of airports and things like that and heavy industry. Gotcha. Low, freq- oh, low, low frequency is a big issue, you know. Yeah, of course. Um, can we talk about, because the flooring one was a big question, and I know we touched on it. I know you said that you can do it. And, and I know Yoast put it on his floor. What, what happens with like, is it how you create the structural floor and then you still have to apply your own floor finish over the top of it? Like how, how have you seen it get used if it does get used in a flooring application? Well, as far as deflection goes, the panel, remember we were talking earlier with our process that the, the panel spans across its width. So it can be as long as you want, but, but what you've got to pay attention to is support across the width of the panel. So you've got to support the two long edges and then you put support up the middle. Now, if you do that, deflection's taken care of. So you, you'll walk on it and you'll think you're walking on a concrete slab or something. You know, that's, how, that's the strength of it. You have to physically restrain the panel down around its perimeter. Okay? That's very, very important. So I would screw and glue the panel down to the well, your, your, whatever your substrate's going to be. Um, I would screw and glue around 450 centres around the perimeter of the panel. Um, because it's got a craft line of finish, okay, well, obviously... Okay, you've got to say, well, okay, we've got to put something hard wearing on it. So I'd say put a cement sheet over the top of that, you know, um, and screw and glue that down to the Jura panel. And then do whatever you want. You can put an engineered floor over whatever, you can tile it, like you know, just tile over it, it's fine. Uh, not, not an issue. Important thing is, though, is like I say, you've just got to keep it mechanically restrained down around the perimeter. And uh, no reason why you, uh, that's fine. I mean, we get people that get the panel and they make a loft out of it in their house. You know, I said, oh, okay, I understand you can use it as a walkable ceiling. Well, they just put it up there, create another space in an existing room. Um, here's a shelf, here's a, here's a loft, you know, support the long edge, off you in your phone. Yeah, and at 50 mil thickness, and then you're just dealing with whatever the depth of the structure is to accommodate the spans. It's pretty amazing. So, well, it looks pretty cool too. You know? I mean, you can just expose your timber. Uh, and that looks nice. And you put the chura panel on the top of it, and you know, you, you create a little little bedroom nook or something. You know? Yeah, and you're, you're dealing with acoustics and thermal all at the same time. So lovely. Yeah. So, um, okay. So I'm just making sure that we've covered the important questions that my members had, which was largely around running electrics through it, those kinds of things. So you still obviously need the cavity. Um, in behind it to be able to run electrics and plumbing. It's not like you can physically run it within the straw panel itself. Look, it's a funny thing, you know, like Amelia, years ago, we used to be, we, we make two thicknesses of panel, 50 and 58. 50 is the predominant thickness that we make. Years ago, we made one that was 58 millimetres thick. And we can make it with tapered long edges, okay? We can make the panel with like a, 20 to 25 mil conduit hole full length of the panel. We can do that, but it's just not user friendly to deal with with the amount of electronics in houses these days. Yeah, because you've only got one spot that you have to run yeah, everything. Well, yeah. we can put we can put, we, we can put two, two, two conduit holes down a, a panel, but there's that much data and everything else that people have, you know, well, well I just wanted it, I want wires and I want them everywhere. Well, we came to the conclusion, well, it seems more sensible just to do that. And then you're not restricted anywhere and you can do whatever you want, change things later, and it's very accessible, seem to make good sense. Yeah. No, that sounds, yeah, sounds wise. 
So I think, I mean, I, I think people's fear of it generally has been what will the finish end up being when I start cutting holes in it or need to use it for things. And the fact that, you know, you can repair it, you can, um, and you can get it working similarly to how plasterboard would, to me, it removes that barrier of entry in terms of thinking about it. Because if you're going to, uh, if you're going to accept that you'll be cutting holes through plasterboard and having a cavity behind it anyway, there's no reason why you wouldn't do that with Durapanel as well. So, um, and I think, um, yeah, I think that the fact that it has those um, acoustic and thermal uh, properties, plus all of the other things that we've been talking about, just completely elevate its performance over a lot of other wall materials. So, I mean, if you think about it like if, uh, it's just what you do to plasterboard, you would probably do to Durapanel. If you're building your home, well, I'd have your home weather type before you started installing Durapan, like you would with plasterboard, same sort of thing. The ones that you mentioned before when you said if they're going to get wet, though you put the aluminium end sections on it. Can you tell me, like, what do you mean by that when you were talking about that before? That's when we do a commercial, like we recently did the um, big Docklands soundstage down at the Balti Bridge in Melbourne. And in some scenarios, like if we're doing big commercial industrial jobs, I mean, Durapanel can get wet in an industrial commercial situation. The panel core. I mean, straw, straw is naturally water resistant. Okay. Now, that job, we left the panels out in the open for, oh, gosh, it'd be about four weeks, you know, and they were getting wet and everything else, and they dry out. But the thing you've got to remember is that if, the, if it's going to get wet, the paper finish, the straw core is fine. The strength and integrity is fine. But the paper line is going to be the weakness. So in a commercial industrial job, it might fade. You know, and you don't want faded product in, in a house. You might want, you know, um, it's got to be just as it's presented off the machine. Commercial, industrial, that doesn't matter. It's not an aesthetic animal because it's top side of panel and it's, you know, sitting up there and it's going to get roofed and it's fine. Um, and that's why we use the aluminium end seal. You had a paper end seal, paper's always going to be your weakness, whatever you're doing, plasterboard, whatever, cellulose-based material. The straw core itself, it's, it's fine. It's quite happy. I mean, we had thatch roofs. How many years have we had thatch roofs on <laughs> Very houses? Very true. Before? Very true. <laughs> it's more aesthetic. But, you know, you don't want to be exposing the product when you're building to continuing dampness. And, you know, you don't want to go laying a product over the top of a wet floor and just leaving it there. You know, it's just, it's a lot of it's common sense in practice with what you do and how you do it um, in that regard. Um, but I, I see the commercial industrial side of it as, you know, I've been doing it so much for years, but I'm quite excited about the opportunity to um, now look at, okay, people are understanding that plasterboard, how do you get rid of it? You know, recycling plasterboard, okay, it takes more energy to do that than it takes to make new plasterboard. How does that work? You know, is that and a good idea? It's such a messy trade too. I see so many architects trying to, um, try to design plasterboard out of houses um, because it is such a messy trade in terms of how it how it um, works. But we've just come become so accustomed to it being how we line homes and it being this kind of sheen, you know, mirror sort of um, clean finish that alternatives to it um, are difficult for a lot of people to wrap their heads around just because that's what they've come to expect from the. Do you see a change with this? Yeah, I do. I'm seeing a lot of people considering. Um, like we're seeing projects obviously that are getting chipboard on the inside or, you know, OSB board. 
um, uh, lined with plywood as well. I think it happens a lot more. Architects do it in their own homes because clients don't necessarily always have the appetite for it. I was in a friend's house on the weekend who's an architect and they've, you know, built a, a house of their own near, near where we are. And all of their house was lined with either clear finished pl um, plywood or they'd also used pegboard um, and uh, and so the pegboard was great. So pegboard is um, for anybody that's not aware is a board that's then got lots of little perforations in it. And so they had that um, and then they basically were hanging their pictures on the, in the little perforations and they, um, and then they'd, where any pegboard was used, they then had these really bright colors. So the house was sort of this teal, uh, a pale pink and a, and a sort of a dark navy blue sort of finish. So it wasn't that plasterboard white, you know, with the corners very different kind of aesthetic. So, but I, I'm seeing, I'm, I'm seeing more and more people are questioning what else is available to me if I don't want to use plasterboard. And so, um, and I think they're also that lined with sustainability ideals and uh, a, a very strong desire to ensure that they're uh, creating good thermal envelopes, that they are um, managing indoor air quality and that the what what the end use like what's created the material and then what's going to be the end kind of result of the material as well so um people are very very savvy to this which is great because the industry really does need need this happening so can i ask you with the thermal stuff you know we we we're becoming more and more aware obviously of thermal bridging um, and also the condensation. We're looking obviously down the barrel of some changes to the National Construction Code around condensation. With your steel purlin, you know, detailing those kinds of things uh, and you talked about roof details and that kind of stuff, how how does that get balanced against thermal bridging and also protecting against condensation um, forming uh, in, in before, yeah, something moisture can leave? Yeah, well, the whole thermal thing, I suppose, um, you, were you were touching on then touch point to say, well, you know, using OSB in houses and things like that, external walls, and getting back to the start of that whole thing to say, consider your envelope, you know. Rough rule of thumb, if you put a Jura panel on your inside of your, of your wall, it could be laminated with, with or without plywood, just if it's on its own. As far as an R value goes, to get your head around it, that's roughly equivalent to having six layers of 13 millimeter plasterboard as an R value, okay, as an R value. Or if you look at cement sheet as an R value, it's like having almost 40 sheets of <laughs> cement sheet. No, this is this. I guess this is a craziness of R values. But anyway, I just this is this is just the fact, you know, fact check. But this is what it is. This is life, okay. As if you look at it that way. But if you're looking, you left, that's why I say it's important to look at the overall performance of the wall. You know, it's not just the R value, but I think more importantly, the R value, it's a K value, and that's about conductivity through a wall, and a U value, which is U values that are you know, lower the U value, the better. That takes the whole, the whole build up of your wall into account. And that's where, you know, that people are slowly getting this now, I think, you know, and that's what it's all about. Dura panels are cellulose based material. Okay, so it's breathable. Okay. It's a buff, like a buffering material too. So at the molecular level, Durapanel, you know, it, it, it breathes, it breathes gas. It takes it up, it, it, it takes it up, distributes it, it takes it up slowly. Durapanel is a bit like in Japan. I'm sure you've been to Japan or not, but or your, your listeners, but in Japan, all, all, all Japanese homes, most of them have a tatami mat from rice straw 
sitting in their home. And it's in there for a number of reasons. But they're all intensive purposes. It's there for passive cooling. Because it gives up, takes on, gives up water molecules. And when air passes over it, it's like a passive cooling system, which is fantastic. You know, I've been, been doing it for rounds, but it works. Yeah. <laughs> now, Durapanel, like if you look at how, say, vapor resistance, um, well, vapor resistance can be measured in a number of ways. Uh, basically, it's going to be uh, newton seconds, I think it would be per kilogram or thickness of material. If you look at it in that way, you say, well, okay, scoreboard type material like this, 50 or 60, okay, the lower the number, the more permeable your material. Aluminium, it's just straight aluminium, it's 4,000. Okay. If we're looking at sort of, say, closed cell phenolic foams and things like that, you're probably around about 180 okay, on the scale. Polystyrene is probably going to be about 100. Um, pine timber, things like that, but like Europanel, 50, 60 on the scale. So it's a breathable membrane. So if I was building that, where you would put your vapor barrier on your wall, your membrane is going to depend on the builder. Now, Durapanel could be put on it as an outside wall as well. It can be used as an outside wall lining. This is what we do in developing countries with disaster relief, things like that. We build a whole house out of just Durapanel. We put a cement render on. Cement render, keeps the water off it, keeps it there, and that, that, that can be there forever. So if you're going to put it with a, you're going to build with, say, a metal cladding, okay, I'd have my metal cladding on the outside of my wall. If I've got Durapanel on the inside, metal, I've got my metal cladding, and then um, I'd have my, like, a batten and a breathable membrane. And then it might have thermal insulation in the cavity. It could be a glass wall or polyester or whatever it's going to be. And you know, I might substitute my internal lining for using a, a Durapanel sheet or whatever you're using. So it depends where you do it. But um, it, it's, it's not so that people can calculate where the dew point is going to form by the build-up of your particular wall and the climate zone that you're operating in. Those are also serious things to take into account, looking at your relative humidity, your average humidity, your rainfall, everything. It all comes to play. Does that does that make sense? Yeah, it does. It does. And I think that uh, I think that it's it's I mean, at the end of the day, this is always about understanding the whole composite of what you're putting together. So even when you're thinking about thermal bridging and those kinds of things, again, it's the composite. So those steel purlins that, for example, if you ended up doing a ceiling system with a dura panel and and those steel purlins, still you've got to break. I mean, if, if you've got to separate your your your, your roofing element. I always remember I made a terrible mistake when I was a young boy. Terrible. I burned the strammer. I thought they might have got rid of me when I was probably about. <laughs> yeah, I thought I might have been first and last. But anyway, I, I remember I sold the job with a metal, metal purlin and a dura panel and the metal roof straight on top of the purlin. And I got, got the phone call, Derek, it's raining inside my uh, extension. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I came out to look at it and the water was falling off me. I couldn't believe it. He had that. The heater cranked up inside. It was freezing cold outside. It was raining off the beam. So that was my education practically about how you got to get your thermal bridging right. Because if you get it wrong, you're cactus. <laughs> it's not too good. <laughs> but, yeah, but basically, yeah, your thermal break, your thermal bridge, it's got to be separate your pearl, you know, uh, and, and that can be like using some sort of a, you know, a, like a roof raising type of a, a 
timbers timbers are really quite effective uh, thermal break practically speaking uh, cork and things like that quite uh, effective not just practically speaking i'm not speaking about what the national construction code says but uh, yeah you've got to separate your elements you know so you're stopping that heat transfer and conductivity through steel because remember steel's got that conductivity of 50 so uh, it loves sucking heat through so uh, if you can break your elements away well i'm good um and that's where you know dura panel's quite good you, you know you can fix it up the timber underside if you want to you know and then got a lot of timber up there works well awesome okay all right, now we're going to get down to brass tacks and talk about cost because that's what everybody will actually be wanting to know is how does it compare cost-wise? So everybody's obviously used to doing bricks and sticks or lightweight, you know, and on a frame and then lining it with plasterboard. How does DuraPanel uh, compare cost-wise um, in terms of what people's expectations can be? Sure, sure. Uh, look, I think it compares for what it does with standard construction techniques. It's not quite right to compare it just with a sheet of 10 or 13 mil plasterboard. Uh, a sheet of Dura panel works out around $32 a square metre. So, which I think is fairly competitive in today's marketplace for what it does. Well, that's easy. Then people can just look at that and, <laughs> and compare that to their plasterboard. I think the thing is, though, you're not coming. You know, you look at the you look at the supply cost of plasterboard versus something like DuraPanel, but what you're not factoring in is the plasterer, then coming and installing and setting all the joints, looking at the cornicing, looking at how all you know all of that kind of process. You've got to look holistically at the whole thing. Yeah, and it's not if it's when people will be made more responsible for their choices. What are you going to do at the end of life of your material? And there will be a time, I don't know when it's going to come, but it will come, when we'll have to pay up front for what's got to happen later. Yeah. I think that, you know, the whole idea of, you know, and philosophy, what, where things have been at the moment is, um, you know, burn now, pay later. Mm. Leave it for someone else to deal with. That's got to stop, you know. You know, plasterboard in landfill, hydrogen sulfide gas, hey, that's not good, that's not, you know. They're starting to outlaw, outlaw that in the UK. I mean, there's huge issues with that now going on. It'll come in. No, it's re it's it's really interesting, and we are so behind in Australia in so many ways in this regard. So, I think it's um I know that there'll be lots of people who are really excited to be learning about DuraPanel and its applications. Can you tell me for our overseas listeners, uh, how can they get their can they get their hands on DuraPanel? How does it work if they're overseas and and looking at the supply? Well, we export we export globally. Um, you know, at the moment uh, we're in the, well, we're almost at the point of signing contracts for. See, we make the machines that make the panel, and our goal is to make this global. At the moment, you know, after the boxing Boxing Day tsunami went through, we did a technology licensing agreement to Sri Lanka, which was a beautiful thing. I mean, it was a win-win project. Uh, after the decimation of the tsunami that went through. Um, back then, I, I had a phone call. Brian Welsh was uh, head of NBA and said, oh, Derek, I know what you do. But, hey, you know, we've got, a, we've got this huge issue in uh, Sri Lanka. You're interested in uh, uh, talking to a delegation that's coming up. So I, I welcomed the opportunity, Brian, which we did. And that culminated in us licensing the manufacturing technology into Sri Lanka. Now, they use rice straw. 
was a it was a win win socially. Uh, they're desperate for building materials, so we made the machine, sent the machine over there. While we were making the machine, they were cutting the instead of burning their rice straw crops after harvest, busy harvesting their rice straw. They were stacking it up and I brought it to the plant site where the machine was ready to go. We, we sent the machine over. Uh, we sent some trainers over. Uh, we sent, I think it was five building kits to start with to show them was how you build them. And then with the plant was supplying the panels to make the houses. Um, it was it was a beautiful, beautiful project. The, the, the local people, you know, we're all helping each other to build these shelters. And, uh, and on the outside, just, all the panels were just, a, the houses were built out of the Jura panel and steel channels. All engineered, it was fine, worked beautifully. They loved the homes and outside there was a cementitious render put over it, which is exactly what their social expectation, cultural expectation was. You know, that's what they wanted. And that plant's working beautifully today still, uh, and now they're doing more commercial industrial work. But, uh, you know, um, we'll be doing that same thing in Argentina. Um, just north of Buenos Aires, uh, in Corrientes to the north, where they grow rice, rice straw, and they had terrible fires there early this year. Um, and it's been ordained they can't burn the rice uh, rice fields anymore after harvest because of the damage and lives that were lost. So there'll be a manufacturing plant for Durapanel in the north in Corrientes, and there'll be one in the south in Candil on wheat straw fiber. And They'll want to do everything, commercial, industrial and residential applications, including modular homes, which is what we do at our Bendigo factory. Right. And so is that how, so you're, you said you're obviously exporting to projects overseas and those kinds of things. So how you're, are you manufacturing here to export those for those larger projects as well? Or how, how in terms of that global pathway and, you know, if somebody's building a house in somewhere in, you know, Northern Europe or something like that, and they want to use Durapanel, how, you know, how do they need to go about sourcing it? And is it possible for them? We, we, we can put basically, you know, put anything into a container. We can put a home. It can be in panels. It could be, um, as I say, you can use Durapanel on its own, or we can supply a complete building system. So where, where we can use local materials, uh, we always advocate to say use local materials in concert with what we supply. You know, um, we, we did some uh, buildings in uh, Banda Arche, and after the tsunami uh, for Red Cross, and we sent across the panel and the steel channels for 136 square meter dwellings, and then we supplied all of the what you need to supply from local sources in Banda Arche or wherever it wasn't damaged enough from the tsunami to get those materials, and that was doors and windows and roofing and so on and so forth. So it was a beautiful concept of what you can supply from local sources you do, it makes good sense. You know, the houses were built by local people, which is beautiful. We, we supplied the trainer to go across, train the trainer, and, and, and it was just, it was really fulfilling and really just to see, you know, people doing this and, you know, okay, after a terrible, devastating event, to be actually building good quality, sustainable shelter, you know, uh, using local materials and especially Sri Lanka using their own rice crop and seeing that farmers, that I always remember them saying to him, Mr. Derek, this is fantastic, I've, I've doubled my income. <laughs> <laughs> because they were burning it before. 
you know. So, uh, you know, that, that was, uh, it was a quite warming experience just to say, well, hey, that made a bit of a difference. And, uh, you know, that's a win-win for everybody, I think, something like that. Yeah, it's just tremendous. And I know, too, your finalists and some upcoming awards as well. Do you want to tell us about that? Yeah, it's in the it's circular economy, uh, which I think is sort of building on the fact of um, that whole cradle to cradle thing that we do, you know, um, at the end of life. So um, it's exciting to have us recognised as a, you know, for what we're doing. I guess we've had a pretty adopted a pretty low profile over the years, and um, for what we've done and what we've developed, you know, we haven't made a lot of noise about it. I, certainly, you know, since. You know, people like Yost who supports what we're doing because he says, well, hey, you guys are doing this. You don't realise how good this is. I go, well, I hope it's good, but he goes, I'm going to tell everyone about it. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it's a good idea. I was like, oh, cool. thanks, mate. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> but, but if we can let people know what we do, um, it's just it's win-win. It's just so much good sense in it. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, you look at, you know, I think human beings, are, you know, we're designed to be in nature. We are, you know, and we're designed not to be living in, you know, like foam boxes and, you know, surrounded by petrochemicals. It's just not what we're about, you know. I mean, biophilia is such an important part of architecture and, and I think we, to have architects understand and to be able to communicate to clients. And I think, I don't know if, you, if your clients, I, I found people generally are sort of, Taking more time and willing to, to, to think and understand about the importance of their choices and their decisions for things, you know, and saying, well, I get my, my choice is important here, you know, because for too long we're kicking the can down the road and our whole thing, you know, with net zero and everything else. And, you know, what's it all really mean, you know? Can we scratch a little bit below and have a look and peer down here and say, well, what's going on, guys? What's this really all about? And if we can all do a little bit to be part of a solution. You know, for our children's children's children. It's not if, it's when. We've got to do something. Derek, I know that it's um, there's going to be many people in the undercover architect community who uh, have really appreciated this deep dive that we've taken into Dura Panel and understanding more about it because um, uh, it's... I, re- I get really excited about its opportunities in the residential marketplace. And I find that this so often happens in uh, in the construction industry where products that have been used for some time for industrial, commercial, large-scale applications start penetrating that residential marketplace and really transforming it because you know, when when you look at it, we really are building houses very similarly to how we built them, you know, in the 1950s and even earlier. And there's such a uh, there's such an opportunity for us to transform the quality of uh, of residential construction, the contribution that it makes to not only just being sustainable, but even improving the environment, being more regener- regenerative, um, and uh, creating much better uh, quality lives for us in terms of the indoor air quality and the thermal performance of the home. So I know that, yeah, I've been wanting to get you on the podcast for some time. And so it's been really lovely to connect and be able to spend this time with you. I really appreciate you being so generous with your time and with your knowledge and, um, yeah, just giving us so much information about your great product. And I'll pop all of the links to Jira panel. Uh, they've got, you've got a really great website that has PDF downloads on its residential application 
locations. If you are looking at modular um, homes, there's some information there. The the acoustic sound um, studio kits are also there. It's a really well laid out website that has uh, a lot of easily accessible information, videos, those kinds of things so that you can see it. And um, yeah, thank you so much for your time, Derek. Oh, it's been really fantastic to chat with uh, you. Look, look, I just appreciate the opportunity. As I say, I'm at the wrong end of my working life and, uh, you know, I just wish I had 30 years younger, but I'm, I'm blessed to have a really capable, enthusiastic, driven young team that, that they understand and, um, you know, they, they're doing it for me and helping me through all of this stuff. And I'm not that good with, you know, electronic sort of technology and websites and things, but they, they get it. They're telling me, Dave, go get into this. And uh, I'm just very fortunate to have a great team around yeah, that's awesome. Well, uh, yeah, I'll put all of the links in our resources for this episode and we'll no doubt uh, hear from lots of undercover architect community members reaching out to Jura panel. Well, really anything we can do to help, either, you know, I'm happy to talk to anybody, explain anything and, uh, you know, if we, if we can tell us how to do it better, we, I'd love to know that too. <laughs> we're, we're open to all of those things. Awesome. Thank you so much, Derek. Thank you. Thanks, Amelia. How was that? I do hope that you found that conversation helpful as an introduction to Jura Panel to learn more about it. You know, we covered a lot of information there, a lot of detail about what it is, how to work with it, how you can use it and what to consider. Now, if you do want that super smooth finish to the interior of your home, Jura Panel may not be for you. You know, plasterboard is one of those products that just, it does achieve a very smooth finish when it's installed and finished well. Um, equally though, I've seen lots of really shoddy finishes on plasterboard that haven't been that great. So, um, you know, if you, but if you do want to explore an alternative, if you want to think about something different to plasterboard, if you, if you want to think about something that doesn't need framing for those internal walls, if you want to think about something that is, you know, just a different alternative for you, then this could be a really great option for you because DuraPanel does tick a lot of the boxes of sustainability, being recyclable, being biodegradable, low tox, thermally efficient, acoustic, fire resistant, you know, easy to work with. There's a lot to love about this product. Now, remember, I've got a downloadable transcript of this episode and of the last one as well. You can find this ones by heading to undercoverarchitect.com forward slash 251. That's the numbers 251. I've also got links there to access DuraPanel's website. They've got great resources, downloadable PDFs and information about uh, residential applications and about the other applications that we discussed, the acoustic sound studios, those kinds of things. And you can learn a lot more about their information. They've got videos that you can watch. It's really, really great. I know I've said all of this to you. <laughs> so just head to the website and check it out, okay? <laughs> now, as always, thank you for tuning in and for letting me be your secret ally. Until next time, bye.